Well, good morning. It's good to see you. And good morning to you online. Welcome, and we're so glad you joined us this morning. And we're going to celebrate our Lord and, and give glory to Him this morning. So, looking forward to doing that as we enter into the Gospel of Luke. Come to the table. All are welcome. All are welcome. My good friend Stephanie, her husband Kenny, uh, send me often uh, text and it's pictures of the family and the kids growing up. They have two beautiful daughters. And, and they went recently uh, on a journey to the Oregon coast to uh, celebrate Hannah, their daughter's sixth uh, birthday party. And as they were driving uh, there and they were arriving at the home that they were going to be staying at, it was kind of a windy night. And as they're driving down this long driveway, and they're going fairly fast, coming to the house, which was just ahead of them, the metal gate, which was an enormous metal gate with a long metal pole, the wind caught that, slammed it into their car, and the part of the metal pole came right through the window of the car, and it grazed right by her head, Stephanie's head, and shattered glass everywhere. The girls in the back are freaking out and scared. And Stephanie said, it was amazing, like the Lord just gave me a calm. And I was like, it's okay, the Lord is with us. It's okay, the Lord has sent his angels and surrounded us. It's okay. Jesus has saved me. Look, I'm okay. And they rejoiced in the Lord as God was doing that. The next morning for Hannah's birthday, her sixth birthday, as they were celebrating, Hannah says this, we will never forget this birthday. And she goes, you want to know why? She goes, because this is the birthday that God was with us. And that God saved mommy. And that God's presence was there. And that's exactly what this whole passage this morning is about. It's the heartbeat. God is with us. He is present. And all praise, all praise to God. Give him, him all the glory. And the children, as they celebrated Hannah's birthday, not only sang birthday songs, but sang worship songs to praise their God. Our Lord is magnificent. And may our souls this morning magnify the Lord. Let's pray for that this morning. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the joy of life in you. I thank you that you invite all people to the table to receive you, to receive your grace and your love. And so minister to people's hearts this morning, I pray. We want to glorify you this morning and you alone. All praise to you. You are magnificent. You are awesome. You are great. We love you, Lord. In your precious name, amen. Well, we're going to get into the scriptures and we're starting in verse 26 this morning. And let me read that for you. In the sixth month, the angel, Gabriel, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, from the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what kind of greeting this was be? What this might be, and the angel said to her, "Do not be afraid, O oh, dear Mary, for you have found favor 
with God. What an incredible scene. As we're preparing the table for Jesus to show up, John the Baptist will be the forerunner. And these stories are laid side by side, John and Jesus. Lots of similarities. Two cousins, two pregnancies, two amazing songs of praise that will come from these families. Same angel with the same statement, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God's doing an amazing thing here. And although there's many similarities, I think Dr. Luke is wanting us to to experience and understand and see the differences. And really the differences of who is greater. Who is greater and who's the one who really is worthy of all praise. John was a great person in the Lord. But Jesus is the only one worthy of praise. John would be the prophet crying in the wilderness. Jesus would reign on David's everlasting throne. John would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus would be conceived by the Holy Spirit. John would be great before the Lord. And here's what it says of Jesus. Jesus would be great. Period. End of sentence. Drop the mic. That's it. Jesus is great. Amen to that. How great is our God. He is magnificent. Our God is the God of the impossible. And what we're going to see in this passage, God is starting to restore God who is saving, God who is doing a new thing. You know, every time in scriptures that we see God showing up and ministering to a woman who is barren, and all of a sudden bringing life out of a barren woman. God is doing a great new thing. All throughout the scriptures when we see that. With, with Hannah we see that. We see that with Sarah. God is doing a wonderful thing. Big things. In revealing himself and his character. Drawing people to him. God is great And his love is never-ending for us. This story echoes with that of Abraham and Sarah, doesn't it? God creating a people unto himself. A people who enter into a covenant relationship. A people who are intended to be blessed and to be a blessing. A people who will end up in the promised land. He's bringing them there. A God who is going to lead them, a God who is going to take them through impossible things, but not impossible with God. In this section of Scripture this morning, God is doing a new thing, starting with the most unlikely person, this beautiful young girl, Mary. Mary was, Mary was lowly, possibly 13 to 14 years of age. Can you believe that? My mother was married at 17, and we thought, wow, that's young. How could that be? That's, that's so young. Mary was a young woman, poor and uneducated, peasant girl from Nazareth. The statements about Nazareth, can anything good ever come out of Nazareth? It was just a lousy place. From merely a human perspective, Mary was insignificant. 
Kent Hughes said this, she was a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Maybe some of you grew up in places like that. And God sent Gabriel to the lowly, to this beautiful young woman, Mary. All part of his plan of salvation. It would really speak to how he was going to do salvation. Jesus would humble himself to be exalted by God. We are rescued from our sins, that lowly place, that place of death, and he lifts us to glory. God comes in the flesh, Jesus, to enter into the misery of our lost and fallen condition so that he can save us. And so he speaks to Mary, Gabriel does. Gabriel, the one who stands in the presence of the Lord. And he says, favor has come upon you. That word favor is the word for grace. There has been much grace. Oh, blessed Mary, grace upon grace, God is giving to you. Unmerited favor, a kindness that you don't deserve. It's just grace upon grace, his amazing love for you. She is the object of that grace. In the original language, it's a passive participle. She's one who receives that. She is a humble woman, humble Mary. We can learn much from her humility. You see, all throughout the generations, different faiths have really tried to elevate Mary, right? They've tried to lift her to this high status, that she is actually one we should pray to because she bestows grace upon us. Oh, that's not true. People try to lift her high. They try to say she was without sin. She's trying to say, they try to say that she's one again who was so different from everyone else. But it's not true. And guess what? Mary never thought of herself that way, ever. If there's anything we should elevate about Mary, it should be about her faith in the Lord and how she surrendered her heart to her great God. That's what we should elevate. And we should follow her example in that. Mary never thought of herself as anything but a servant of the Lord. And I think as we study the scriptures that we see that I think she's favored because of her humble posture before the Lord. She recognizes her place. And as she hears this message from Gabriel, the scriptures say, she was greatly troubled. And you go, what is she troubled about? Is she troubled about, oh my goodness, what is this going to mean for my life? If people find out I'm pregnant, you know, this is a death sentence in my community. I, I haven't been with my husband yet. What is she troubled about? And the closer you look at the scriptures, it's interesting. The, the response of she's greatly troubled follows the statement, you have found favor, you have found grace in the Lord. I think, and I would suggest, that she's greatly troubled, confused, stirred, wondering, rattled, because she gets to this place of going, oh my goodness, who am I? Who am I that God knows me? 
Who am I to receive such grace? Who am I to receive this blessing of the Lord? I'm greatly troubled by this. I am a lowly servant in a nowhere town in the middle of Israel. Who am I? I'm not worthy of this. And I think because she was humble, she listened, and she received the word from the Lord through Gabriel, God chose her in that humble state. You are going to be blessed. You are going to have a son. Listen to verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. Again, no other identifier. He's just great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. These are revolutionary words when you've got Roman power and you've got King Herod on the throne. Oh my goodness, there's a new king who's coming to town. And let me tell you who he's going to be. He's going to be, he's going to have the name Jesus. You know what that name means? God saves, or the Lord is our salvation. The Hebrew name would have been Joshua. That's our middle son, Joshua. His name shall be Jesus, he's saved. That's his work. That's his life. He will be the savior of the world. That's what he came to do. And that's who he is. Jesus' greatness is referring, and how he is going to rule and reign, he is great, is always referring to God. Whenever you speak of greatness, and just leave it at that, it's always reference to God. So Jesus' greatness will be the greatness of our Lord God. God is going to lift him to this place. He will be high and worthy of our praise. And Mary is receiving all this. My goodness, what an amazing scene. You know what the problem is for us? We, we, we go and we stand in the, and look in the mirror and we struggle with humility when we look and we go, oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. We tend to exalt ourselves. We tend to think more of ourselves than really what is true. Jesus humbled himself and let God do the exalting. Mary did the same. And when we let God do the exalting, then we let him do this great work. You see, Jesus is going to show up on the scene, and he is going to do a new work. There's going to be a great reversal of how life has been lived. There's going to be a new kingdom, an upside-down kingdom like we talked about this summer as we went through the Sermon on the Mount. God is doing a new work. And as he is having John going to be born and prepare the way, and then Jesus, there's going to be a new work. And it's going to be the way that the kingdom is now going to be played out is going to be opposite of everything you've known. So that... God will be glorified so that he will be known for who he is. You see, the disciples were always going, hey, who's the greatest? Muhammad Ali would say, I'm the greatest. 
Who's the greatest? And Jesus said to his disciples, listen, the one who is the least is the greatest. The one who is the servant is the greatest. That's what greatness looks like. Our Lord is great. He is the Son of the Most High God, and he will reign forever. Now Luke, if you remember in the first four verses, Luke wrote this testimony so that we would be certain and know that Jesus is indeed the Savior. And that we would worship him as our great God. You are magnificent, God, in all that you're doing. All praise to you. You're a God of the impossible. And that we would serve him in his everlasting kingdom. That's what he wants for you and me. That we would know he's Savior. That we would receive him as our Lord and Savior. That we would serve him as our Lord and Savior in this new kingdom of his. And you know what? Mary believed. But she still had a few questions, didn't she? In verse 34, she asked this question of the angel. Well, how will this be since I am a virgin? How is this going to work out? Many have asked, well, what, what was the difference between Mary's question and Zechariah, who's going, hey, how, how the heck is this going to happen? And Zechariah was rebuked for the way he posed the question. Zechariah, the priest, his question wasn't really a question of searching. His question was actually a statement. I'm an old man. There is no way this is going to happen. And show me a sign. And Gabriel, the one who stands before God, is kind of like, are you kidding me, Zechariah? You've been praying and praying and praying for a son, and you've been praying for the Messiah to show up, and I'm going to answer both of those questions for you. Your prayers have been fulfilled. Yeah, but show me a sign. It's a statement of doubt. Dishes of doubt come out, right? For Mary, her statement is an honest question of, of searching. Like, listen, uh, I believe, I believe in God, but I'm betrothed to my husband. There was a time they're legally married, but they haven't been together physically yet. They haven't had a marriage ceremony yet where they celebrate that but legally betrothed, but not together physically. I, I think it's a question, everything I learned from my mother has told me the way you have a child is that you're with a man. So literally, how is this going to work, I think is the question. And it's a good question, and it's a question of humility. And it's not challenging, it's can you explain this to me? I want to understand. And Gabriel the one who stands before God is going to give her an answer. It will still leave her in great wonder. But he's going to reveal that God is a God of miracles. God is a God of the impossible. And you can know his greatness of all that he's going to do through you. And one of the things that you're going to know, you're going to know his amazing love for you, dear Mary. And one of the things that he wants us to know is his amazing love for us. It's all going to come through Jesus. So verse 35, he says, The angel answered, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, 
and the power of the Most High shall overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born shall be called the Son of God. I want to take a look with you for a minute at this word overshadowed. Whenever we see overshadowed in the scriptures, God is doing something powerful. He's doing a great work in the people's lives. He's doing a new work. We see in Genesis 1 that the Spirit of God was hovering, overshadowing the waters. Creation. He's creating a new thing. In Exodus 40, we see that the Spirit overshadowed the tabernacle as a people are coming out and being delivered out of slavery, out of bondage, God is doing a new work with his people. He's he's saving them, rescuing them. He's leading them into a promised land. And the tabernacle where God dwelt, it was overshadowed with a cloud, the power of God, ministering to the people. Follow me. This is what I'm doing. Trust me, I'm leading you into a new land. In Luke 9.34, Jesus shows up with James, Peter, John, Mount of Transfiguration. And all of a sudden, shows up Elijah, Moses. And there is an overshadowing of the Lord, of the Spirit of God. A cloud that covered. And what happens in that scene, do you remember? God shows up and he speaks and he says, listen... This is my son, Jesus. He's going to do some amazing stuff. Follow him. Listen to him. He's going to be creating a new kingdom. It's going to be totally upside down. It's going to be the great reversal. But it's going to bring life. It's doing a new thing. It's going to be a miracle, a mystery, but magnificent. God is doing impossible things. Is God wanting to do something new with you? Are you receiving his word to you? When he wants to bring newness into your life, freshness into your new life, into your life that's maybe struggling, maybe he's leading you a different direction. Is God wanting to do something new with you? Impossible things. Do you have a spirit of humility to receive what he has for you? Because you need to receive God's amazing love. God is good. Everywhere he leads you is for his purposes and for his kingdom. And it's led in goodness and in love and amazing grace. And God loves to do impossible things. I'm going to send you a sign, Mary. And let me tell you about it. Guess what? Your cousin Elizabeth, who you know is barren and old... Guess what? She's with child. Six months. Verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. I love what Chuck Swindoll says about these scenes. Our impossibilities, they set the stage for God to do his best work. If God can perform a miracle of the virgin birth, guess what? He's quite capable of handling, handling seemingly 
impossible difficult situations that are going on in our daily lives. We face things that we feel are impossible, and you say, yeah, but I'm the God of the impossible. And if it's in my will, I do impossible things. I do impossible things in marriages that seem they're so far broken that there's no way they'll be healed and come back together. And God says, oh, no, no, let me step in with new life. Let me breathe a fresh wind into your marriage where you have eyes to love each other and where you're drawn to me. Let me do a good work there. An impossible work for you, but not for me. Let me do an impossible work in a child who has wandered away and you think they'll never return. Let me reach out to them like the prodigal and draw them back. You think it's impossible, but I'm a God of the impossible. And I do this kind of work as I draw people to myself. All glory to God. God is magnificent. My father went to Dallas Theological Seminary. And one of the stories I had heard about Dallas, 1924, when they first got started, shortly after they opened up, they ran into financial trouble. And as they ran into financial trouble, it was getting to the point where the banks were going to collect on their debt. And they gave them a certain day and said, on this day at noon, we are going to shut the doors. We're taking it away. Foreclosure. And so the founders of the school all got together and they just got on their knees and they prayed to God. And they prayed all kinds of prayers for God to provide. Harry Ironside was with the school at the time. And he just prayed this very blunt prayer. He said, hey God, you are the God of cattle on a thousand hills. Will you send and sell some of those cattle and send the money to us so that we can save this school? That was his prayer. Sell those cattle. We need the money. Shortly after that prayer, a gentleman walked in, a big cowboy. He walked in with his big boots, his collared shirt unbuttoned, and he came in and he said, Howdy. He said, you know what? I just sold two carloads of cattle down the road. And I was supposed to do another deal. It fell through. And so I'm sitting there talking to God about it. And God says, hey, why don't you go ahead and take the money and go over to Dallas Theological and see if they need the money. And so he goes, here I am. Here's the check. And I don't know if you need it, but God told me to bring it. So... So the secretary goes into the office. They're praying on their knees, hands it to one of the members of the, of the seminary, and the member knew who this cattleman was. And he kicks Harry over sitting next to him. He says, hey, Harry, God sold them cattle. And here's the money. And it was exactly the amount they needed to pay the debt. You see, God is a God of impossible things. And when it's in his will... He does amazing, impossible things. And all glory to God, and out of that seminary have come amazing men and women who continue to magnify the Lord as they teach the Word. That's what God does. And Mary's response to all this amazing news is this, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me fulfilled. Oh my goodness, what a confession of faith. Hebrews 11, faith is the certainty of things hoped for 
and proof for things not seen. What an amazing surrender of obedience that her life was no longer her own. It really was, it could have been, a real death sentence. I mean, shame culture, how dare you marry? People would have assumed adultery, and that, for some, was stoning, stoned to death. May it be to me as you have said. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Then here's the truth about you and me. My life is no longer my own. I am bought with a price. My life is no longer my own. I am bought with a price. Lord, do as you have said in my life. I follow you. And Mary would go through incredible suffering for the glory of God, watching her son be mistreated and mocked and put on the cross and killed. Much suffering as disciples for the glory of God so that he would be known. Our God is magnificent. Our God is a God of the impossible. Mary was receptive. Mary was humble. Mary was a servant of the Lord. And a great example for you and me on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Mary was chosen with much favor, much grace. And here's the deal. So are you and me. We have received much grace. And God in his grace loves us right in the middle of our sin, our brokenness. Not just Mary, you and me. Pours out his grace upon us, blesses us with his love, his forgiveness. That's what God does. Amen. And so Mary, as she receives this news, she's prompted by the Spirit. She goes out to Elizabeth, her cousin's house. And I love the scene. She shows up. And it must have been so refreshing for Elizabeth, who's wondering this whole time, what in the world is going on here? Did, did I really get word from God? Is, am I a barren woman who is now pregnant? There was no way. This is impossible. And Mary shows up, and I think they're going to each other. Like, so I'm not crazy, right? This happened to you. you. You also had an encounter of the Lord. Gabriel showed up, right? Yes, yes. God is doing an impossible thing, and he's doing a new thing, and he's going to do it through you and me, Mary. My son's going to prepare the way. Your son's going to be the Savior. Who is my Lord, Elizabeth cries out. And when Mary showed up, you remember? All of a sudden... The child in her womb leapt and stirred for joy. I think John the Baptist inside of Elizabeth is like, get me out of here. I need to proclaim Jesus has showed up. I'm the one who's supposed to prepare the way. I need to get out so I can do my job. What joy for them. All throughout this encounter, the Holy Spirit is just invading that scene. The Holy Spirit did this. The Holy Spirit has come upon me. The Holy Spirit has led me. This is what the Holy Spirit is going to do through us. Amazing. Amazing. And so all of a sudden, 
They're rejoicing in the Lord. Blessed is she, verse 45, who believed, that's Mary, that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken by her Lord. When you realize that Jesus, the Savior, is coming, your spirit can do nothing else but rejoice and magnify him. Oh, that we would be a people who rejoice at our Savior, our God of impossible things, our God who loves us to the core, our God who invites us to the table and pours out his amazing grace upon us. It's for all people, you and me, everyone. This grace is for all. And so she rejoices in this next part of the scriptures in song and in praise. It's what we call the Magnificat. It's Latin. It's the third word of this. My soul magnifies, Latin, magnificat, the Lord. This is what I'm doing. I am rejoicing in the Lord. I can do nothing but sing. It's amazing in this passage that all of a sudden there are 15 references or allusions to Old Testament Scripture. Isn't that awesome? Mary knew the Word of God. And it's something to be said about being a parent of young children. Teach them the Word of God. They soak it in. Teach them the Word of God. Write it on the doorpost. Sing songs of praise together to the Lord. Mary, as a young woman, she knew the Word of God. And it just poured out in this song. Poured out the prayer of Hannah, the other barren woman. Rejoicing in the Lord, her Savior. Oh my God, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Over 20 references to God in this song and who he is. You see, as Mary is singing this, all focus off of her. There's nothing special about her except that she's received the grace of the Lord. My soul glorifies the Lord. He's the one doing all the work. He's the one creating all that is new. She's blown away that she's received this grace. My soul glorifies the Lord. I am a sinner before the Lord. I rejoice in God, my Savior. Here's the deal, folks. When you're a sinner, like you and me, you realize your need for a Savior. She realizes her amazing need for her Savior her lowly place before him. She needs grace, and she is blessed with this beautiful grace. His mercy extends, verse 50, to those who fear him, to those who worship him, cherish him, give reverence for him. Let him lift you up. Come from that place that is humble, Let him bring you to the table of grace. James 4 says this, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You see, here's what's happening in this Magnificat. God is bringing to the table, I am doing a new work In my new kingdom, it's the birth of a new kingdom for all people. Those who are lowly, I give value to and worth and significance. 
You are invited to the table of my grace. I am doing a new work. But it's not just lowly people. It's lowly people who what? Who fear the Lord. That's the case with all of this. You see, what gets in our way of coming to the table of grace is our pride. Our pride that says, I can do it in myself. Our pride that says, I can save myself. Our pride that says, I can have life in myself. No, 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 no. God is the only one who is the Savior. He's the only one to be glorified. Let him lift you out of that humble estate like Mary and let him bring you to the table of grace and receive his salvation and be changed forevermore. This new kingdom of mine, you see, everybody's looking for life and power and in wealth and prestige and status. No, no, no. Those who live in the pride of that, they're going to be brought low. But those who humble themselves before me, I'm lifting high. And those of you, again, who are in low status and the outcasts and never think they have any significance, God is saying, oh, you are so valuable to me. You are my wonderful creation. I am restoring all things. I'm making all things new. All of the wrongs I am making right. This is the Magnificat, the great reversal, this new kingdom of life in Christ. And so come to the table. Come humbly. Come and receive his grace. And as you receive his grace, would you do nothing but glorify the Lord? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your amazing word this morning. I thank you for how you chose Mary, this beautiful, humble servant, and how you lifted her to a high place that she became the mother of the Savior of the world. We thank you for her example of, of how to follow you in obedience, humble servants. We thank you, Father, that you are making things new, that you are restoring things. We thank you for Jesus, who is our Savior, and that you give life to any who would believe upon you, grace upon grace. Thank you, Jesus. We love you in your beautiful and precious name. And may we glorify you. You are our great God. Amen.